Hello and welcome to the second season of the Crown of Command podcast. You're joined with Josh, your host, and on today's episode, we're going to have a brief look at what's been happening in the background, whether it be on the podcast or on our Facebook group or in the Call of the Crown painting challenge, uh, maybe on other podcasts, other news that's related to our hobby in the Hirohama or 90s age. And we're going to well, I'm going to embark on a bit of a solo podcast because uh, we've had some uh, recording issues with remote recordings with other people and that kind of thing in the past, as you probably noticed uh, during the, especially the last podcast, which I have to apologize uh, to John about because we had such a great conversation together and I'll have to get him back onto the podcast again, again at some point now that we're sort of working out and ironing out a lot of the issues related to recordings with uh, other people and especially with uh, multiple people on at the same time. I really want to get and boost the quality up of the podcast overall. So because, you know, we could be talking for two hours. I want that two hours to be a pleasurable listening experience for yourselves. Uh, And I don't want to turn people off the podcast because of, you know, just because of technical issues. So this is kind of like a a relaunching of the podcast Uh, and um, first of all I want to thank two people in particular uh, one being Neville um, from Australia and Queensland he kindly donated some money towards the podcast it was initially for a new camera but uh, I really needed a microphone I think that was the most important thing for the podcast Uh, so uh, with him and another gentleman from the UK on Discord, my, our Discord channel, uh, I was able to afford to buy a a new microphone that's of decent quality. I hope, uh, as you'll probably tell in this recording, uh, a stand for that, um, a USB adapter for my la- uh, my tablet, and it will also go towards a USB uh, adapter for my iPhone that I can increase the storage space. So, filming battle reports and that kind of thing are going to become a lot more easier uh, thanks to their help and thanks to my Patreons as well. Uh, that The money, the contributions they make every month, they will go, they will sink straight back into the, uh, you know, the podcast or the channel in some way or form. And, you know, we're just going to slowly build up the quality, get better equipment and, you know, uh, allow that those funds to hopefully, you know, give it back to you guys in some way or form and um you know just grow the grow the community grow the podcast more and more as we go along talking about podcasts i did a podcast yesterday and that was with johannes from the flail of skulls podcast and with nathan a new um a new podcaster out there that has been around since about april i think he sort of kicked off his own podcast and that's the war games orchard or orchid however you want to pronounce it uh, you can find that on several podcasting platforms now. So just go to your, the podcast platform that you use. It's on iTunes. It's on Podbean and that kind of thing. The most major ones, I suppose. Uh, I only knew about that this like last week um, by chance. It was on the Hero Hammer Facebook group. Uh, Nathan posted up and he had a... Um, the Undeads kind of special. It's about uh, the necromancer uh, Heinrich Kemmler and Krell and their backstory and the lore. And I think Nathan really focuses on the lore uh, of Warhammer, which I love because I really look. I was really looking for something like that because you know I don't have time to sit down and read through my books as much as I would like to. Uh, just on the odd occasion, I'll pick one up and start reading through some of the lore and background to some of the races that make up the old world from the fourth and fifth edition books. Uh, Nathan has something a little bit unique. He's, he's sort of looking at lore of certain characters um, that, that are famous in the old world. And he's going back as far as he can uh, with Heinrich Kemmler, of course. It goes back to the second edition of Warhammer and um, where there was a special scenario created for him and miniatures created for the second edition of Warhammer. So that's going way back to maybe even pre-Slaughter Base, I think. Uh, 
So there's a really old miniature. If you look on uh, Google, if you search it, you'll find it. Um, there's a really old model for Heinrich and for Krell. Uh, his sidekick. And also Mikkel Jackson. That's another uh, great character that um, has a bit of a history related to the, you know, the the former Michael Jackson and uh, and an accident that happened on the set of one of his music videos, I believe. But there's yeah, there's a bit of a history there. So I'm not going to go into that. I think you should go and check it out. Uh, Nathan does a great podcast. He's got a great personality, great voice. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm hooked on his podcast. And now, what makes it a little bit different is that he, like I said, he goes through the history of it. So he goes from, you know, whenever it, whenever it originated the character, for example, if it's in fourth edition, and then maybe there was reiter reiteration like there was from the Undead book to Vampire Counts for Kemmler, for example. And he'll go through the stat changes, the rules changes, uh, the points changes, and then go through to 6th edition, then maybe 7th or 8th edition, wherever they appeared again, uh, with his other friends uh, that are part of his community in, I think, Halifax in Canada. And... Um, so going back to what I was talking about before with uh, Johannes and I and Nathan and uh, Jürgen uh, from Sweden, we we talked about we we were sort of we we're embarking on a new um, type of format for the Flailer Skulls podcast, which we're all really happy to be part of. Uh, so look forward to that in the next coming weeks when Johannes has time to edit it correctly and release it for you guys. We had a great time. Uh, talking about the vampire counts and making uh, lists for it. So we all had a like an independent list that we proposed on the podcast, and we talked about it and our you know our reasons why we chose um, certain units or characters for it. And uh, we had a great time doing that, and we were very thankful that Nathan uh, could join us at such short notice, uh, literally like two days before we. I think it was about two or one day, one or two days before we we went live with it. Um, so, like myself, jo jo Johannes is looking at uh, ways of improving the way we record interviews uh, remotely. So that's online, you know, with multiple people. And with I think we've found it. We've we've found uh, an application on Google Chrome that allows us to do that, and giving us clean audio, no latency issues. No one's talking over the top of each other. There's no big gaps of you know, airspace that, you know, no one's talking. So that's the problem that we, we're facing with Anchor, uh, the program we're using now, uh, when we're doing interviews with other people. And I I just don't want to, I just didn't want to do any more interviews until everything was sorted out and that we could bring the best possible quality of a podcast to you guys. Because who wants to listen through, you know, potentially an hour and a half of people talking over each other? No one does. And I, I didn't want to uh, distract people from or deter people from listening to the podcast for those kind of issues. So hopefully this, uh, this little solo podcast I'm doing now today for you guys, just to tell you about what's happening in the background and um, how we want to go forward with the podcast, uh, not only myself, but it's a collaboration between um, Nathan and Joe and um, Casper, of course, part of the Flail of Skulls podcast, um, and how we can grow our community. Uh, because, you know, um, a lot of people are in lockdown situations in Europe. A lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's, you know, it's not a, it's not a really great time at the moment that people, some people are experiencing. I, I'm, I'm in Japan, so my situation's you know, it's not great, but you know, I'm very fortunate for a lot of things. Um, I can I can sit in my hobby room and just switch off from what's whatever is happening out outside of uh, beyond my beyond the walls of my house, and I can I can happily sit here all day and paint and immerse myself in the world of fantasy and paint miniatures and talk to people on Discord. I'm having a great time with that. Um, I, I've de developed some really uh, good, strong friendships now uh, with a number of people uh, since starting the whole podcast. And I'm very, 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 very grateful for that. Uh, I really met some really wonderful people and generally nice people, you know. Uh, so um, if you're looking for, 
if you if you're not if you don't like Facebook and some people say hey Josh you know I'm not a Facebooker and or I'm going to quit Facebook how how can I how can I still become an active participant in uh, what's going on with the community well uh, just join Discord because we have a Discord group it's growing it's maybe 60 people now I think and once you're part of Discord you've got a whole multitude of various groups that you can join it's not just us you can join I'm, I'm part of the confrontation group that's um, an extension of Facebook basically and guys post up their painted miniatures and, and they talk about army lists and all kind of stuff so uh, I like I like being part of that as well and you know uh, and I'm sure there's going to be other ones that will spring up that will be uh, related to what I'm interested in that I'll be part of as well so now the, the beauty about discord if you don't if you've never seen discord have never interfaced with it they have these uh, voice channels and with the voice channels you can then activate your camera on the device you're using for instance I'm using a tablet or my phone and I we can play remote games so we've been playing advanced hero quest which has been very successful we've had uh, two sessions of that now and I'm running a little mini campaign with the guys we've got Marcel the younger from Poland <laughs> we've got Marcel from Germany the older uh, we've got uh, Timothy from Canada and we've got um, uh, Marcel's lovely wife uh, Jagoda as the, on, on the team as well and myself as a GM so we've done that now it's been very successful board games are perfect for doing remote play with because there's no issues with uh, you know measuring things and that kind of thing this is all done by uh, the counting of uh, squares and spaces on a board so that's been quite successful uh, also doing hero quests we're going back right back to the origins of how we got into the hobby and we're really enjoying uh, playing hero quest timothy's never played hero quest before so it's new to him so that's great i love introducing new people to games that i uh, that i sort of started off with and i'm doing that at school as well before the whole covid thing started i, I ran some hero quest uh, games at school with my kids um you know they're maybe around about 15 14 years old uh, probably the time where I got started into HeroQuest, uh, three of them being girls and two of them being boys. And I think the girls really enjoyed it more than the boys. I think the boys enjoyed it too, but uh, I had one of my girls uh, GM the game. I was just sort of just a bystander looking uh, at what they were doing and sort of just enjoying the interactions and how they responded to the game. And they really got into it. So it was really lovely. And it was really funny uh, listening to them read the text on the, the treasure cards and... Um, the random events that happened in the game or reading the flavor text for each of the scenarios it's, it's, it's that was really funny so they got to they got to learn some old english uh in that some real old british english which was what wonderful and um yeah i hope to introduce my son and his friends to hear request at some time hopefully with a painted fully painted set that'd be nice wouldn't it i'll have to get onto that it might be my 2021 uh goal i think painting up my entire hero quest set uh, and also on Discord, we're doing remote games of Man of War. Now, I played a game, uh, this is probably my third game, I'm going to say. Yes, it was, my th it was my third game of Man of War on Discord, playing remotely. I played two games with Ben from Australia. And I played, uh, now I was, host I was hosting those games. And then I played Marcel from Germany yesterday. He hosted a game yesterday. We played Empire versus Nurgle. And they were great, great fun. I think I think Man of War works well because it's played on such a small amount of space with only a few miniatures, uh, very little terrain, so that you're not, you know, it, it, there's no sort of issues of, you know, not being able to see things or whatever. Um, so that worked out really well, and we really enjoyed that. And I think that's going to be a continuing thing, uh, as I don't have. Uh, you know, I, I'm in a very re remote location in Japan. I don't have people that I can just call and say, "Hey, you know, let's get it, let's get together and play a game," because it's just not going to happen. I do have a uh, an American friend uh, living around the corner from me, but uh, you know, he's new to board games. I don't want to, you know, thrust upon him Warhammer, 
or something like that. It's just way, 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 way too deep and complex. I think, you know, board games and that kind of thing are very nice and relaxed and uh, easy going. And he's quite happy to do that. And he's more of a historical player anyway. So I think he likes more of the uh, historical themes rather than elves and dwarves and all this sort of weird and wonderful fantasy stuff, all the, all the sort of fantasy tropes. I don't think he's really into that. So uh, this is the only way I can get my game on. Now I did I did this remote thing uh, a while back as well on my channel, on the YouTube channel. And to various degrees of success, um, I mean, there's always the, the issue of technology and, uh, you know, for the, especially if you're the guest and I, you know, I like, I like to try being the guest as much as possible because then I get to see and experience the viewpoint from being the distant player, distant remote player <clears throat> and what I can see and how, how, how hard or easy it is to gauge distances and that kind of thing. Um, I, sp I suppose games that have pre-measuring mechanics in it would work beautifully. Uh, and I've even said that to Ben, let's just pre-measure everything because you know for him it's hard to, hard for him to gauge how far how far things are away. I don't think it makes such a big difference, and I'm not so picky on those kind of things. So it it, it will work for games like Man of War, for games like you know board games and that kind of thing. Remote play is really really good. Um, of course, there's, there's Tabletop Simulator if you wanted to play uh, online uh, with a computer in some kind of simulation. Uh, those games are available too, and they're really good, and I've heard good, only good things about them. Uh, I don't have Tabletop Simulator, and, I, and I'm, an old, I'm an old geezer that loves you know, moving his painted miniatures on the table and making all the terrain and all that kind of stuff, so I'm more of a... Uh, a practical hands-on type of guy and I like um, I like playing with my minis so that's that's been the main news um, now looking forward to what's happening and what's coming up coming up we've got um, a big 3,000 point game of Warhammer Fantasy Battles that'll include myself and as playing the dwarves now this is the grudge of drong uh, the final the final scenario um, now i'm drong will be my general and thank you to um ramos for sending me a drong model in the mail from the us it's not cheap to send those to send small packets to japan so i thank you so much uh, ramos for that um i've got to clean it up and actually prime it up today actually I've got to get onto that because I've only got one more week to finish off a lot of uh, long beards for my Call of the Crown entry and Drong for the campaign and do some other little terrain bits and pieces ready for next Monday. Because next Monday is a public holiday in Japan and myself will be playing the dwarves. Paul uh, from Tokyo is coming up. He's going to play his Dark Elves. This is we've been doing, obviously, we played the first initial three scenarios in our campaign and um really enjoyed it and uh, paul has a, a beautifully painted dark elf fully painted dark elf army and i'm going to record that using either my phone or my tablet on the day uh, justin's coming up as well so i'm going to get justin to assist me in uh being my uh dwarf uh dwarf second in command uh <laughs> Uh, to you know, push units around, roll dice, have fun, you know, uh, go out for a nice lunch, and um, just have an, uh, a good all-round day. So that's coming up next Monday. So as soon as I get that, you know, fully edited and ready to upload to YouTube, you can enjoy. Uh, hopefully, you can enjoy watching that as that unfolds because I'm really looking forward to it. I think I'm going to be uh, really struggling with this one. Uh, mainly because I, I, I lost the first scenario uh, in the mines. That's with that uh, old mad, mad Matic. Um, he leads his drunken miners and he goes and uh, there's like, a, there's like a, a line that, you know, if you cross it, the, the high elves will come and attack you. And in this case, it's being played by the Dark Elves because we don't have um, Paul doesn't have uh, high elf miniatures. But in these campaign packs, if you're not familiar with them, you can switch out the armies with different armies. 
and they give you the list of uh, models that you can use and that kind of thing and they're sort of battle scroll formats um, so I lost that initial uh, scenario because he just shot me to death by the time I got by the time I got my hand in combat my poor old dwarves those short little legs they won't carry very far so um, it just they just didn't they just didn't make it and um, so I lost the first scenario, which means that I can only take one war machine in the final final game. So I chose to take a, a gyrocopter. Now the, the main reason why is because they don't misfire. It's very highly maneuverable. I can I know he's going to take. You know he's got three thousand points. I know most of that is going to be all in troops because it's very light on characters, very light on on magic items. So the bulk of everything he's ta he's taking is in in uh, infantry. So uh, I think, yeah, having that sort of working around his flanks and rear of his, his army and sort of toasting them and steaming them uh, from afar is maybe a good idea. I suppose magic and his uh, a vast array of missile troops will be the only thing that that's going to be uh, susceptible to during the game. But hey, you know, we'll just see how, how, um, how luck favors my, uh, my trusted gyrocopter. I might even have to re rename the pilot as the one uh, that Marcel used in the campaigns that he's written uh, for me and Justin in the last couple of games. It's Gunnison. I can't, I can't remember his first name, but yeah, I think it's Gunnison or something. But um, yeah, we're lo really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great day and we're going to yeah record that for your viewing pleasure and I'll post it up onto the YouTube channel. Uh, when I get that all finished and done. So that's the main bulk of the news, I think. I don't think I'm missing anything out majorly. Um, of course, the Call of the Crown uh, competition, it's, well, it's a painting challenge, not a competition. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it's a competition. It's not a competition. It's a painting challenge. Uh, people may get turned off when I say competition. It's not, there's nothing competitive about it. It's just all this all these wonderful people getting together and painting these amazing looking armies and we've got so many great entries you can you can look at on the channel on my youtube channel i post up some videos and i apologize if i have missed i've missed out on ramos's photos and i missed out on a couple people i have added those to the next video so if i didn't catch you or i've misspelled your name <laughs> i'm really sorry and uh, i'm trying to get better at um managing that uh, within a reasonable time frame so we can get these videos up uh, as soon as possible. Um, so if you want to look at those entries, you can always join our Facebook group. It's a closed group, so just go to um, Facebook at the Crown of Command community group. I think it's the Crown of Command podcast community group. Uh, just ask to register for that group and you can get in and you can see everybody's updates uh, of all their uh, work in progresses and then their final shots uh, of their entries for the month and it's really fun to engage with the guys as they work their way through the month and uh, all the projects they're working on and um, I'm currently very close to finishing 12 long beards I've been working really hard to get those done and I've got another seven in my spray booth that I'm going to spray up after I record uh, the podcast today. And I've got the whole day free, so I'm going to sit here and paint and hopefully Marcel can join me on Discord later and we can chat as we both uh, go through our, uh, our challenge uh, entries for the month. Um, and we're having a great time doing it. I think momentum's still there. People are still producing a lot of stuff, a lot more than I am. And I'm painting a lot, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of other stuff as well. I'm painting for a lot of other people um, as part of my sideline kind of a business, if you like. Uh, so I've got other commitments as well, but I'm, I'm painting as much as I can. I've, I've produced a lot of stuff already for, uh, for my entry. But um, yeah, if you want to catch those, you can catch them on Discord as well. A lot of guys are in, in, always actively posting up their pictures and that kind of thing on there. So that's a good source for people who want to catch that. But for now, we're going to end this segment of the podcast. I thought I'd just give you uh, each episode like a brief background as to um, what's been happening and 
you know, if you want to communicate with me, if you want to get in contact with me at all and, and ask me questions, if you have suggestions for the second season, like certain segments that you'd like to see, and obviously I'm going to have other people on. I've already asked Justin to come on. I've asked Nathan to come on. Uh, I'm sure Joe will come on at some point, and we're going to do some. Uh, and obviously, a lot of interviews um, uh, are going to be uh, already sort of being planned for the second season. But again, I'm going to make sure everything's perfect. I'm going to make sure that everything's edited well and that it's a, a pleasurable listening experience. So we're all sort of learning new editing programs like Audacity and um, uh, there's a couple other ones that we're sort of looking at as well to, you know, better the podcast. So, but we do have people lined up. I've got Owen Staten from um, Welsh fame uh, and from uh, the D6 generation fame. Uh, maybe you know Owen Staten. He's a storyteller. He's a wonderful individual. He's, a very, he's got a very, uh, well, he's got an incredible voice for telling stories and folk tales and that kind of thing. Um, he's asked to come onto the show because he's got a lot of um, experience with Warhammer and um and uh, I think if you've listened to the D6 Generation maybe eight years ago, I think he featured in a couple of episodes there. and well, They're hilarious because he's a really funny guy. So I'd love to have Owen on, but I said, mate, we're going to hold off until we get everything uh, all set up properly uh, so that we can give you the best possible, um, you know, experience on the show and that, you know, your your story and, and everything you say is going to be recorded in the most... Uh, high definition or the or the most clear clear and, and audible um, you know possible way that we can make it so I'm really honored that he he, he asked to come on the show and we're going to get Mike Hobbs on again at some point talking about Man of War and that's what I'm going to talk about today uh, Man of War because it's kind of like a new obsession for me uh, it's something that I've always wanted to dip my toe back into after playing a game way back in the you know, 95, I think it was, when I first experienced Man of War in England on the floor of um, uh, of the room I was staying in uh, at a friend's place. He had the game and we played, I played Dwarves and he played something else. I can't remember what it was. It might have been Empire or something like that. And ever since then, I've been sort of looking at it thinking, yeah, I'd love to play it again, but it's never had the chance. And as some of you know, I posted up images of um, the fleets that I've got now that I've been painting in the background over the last couple of months. I've got the base game. I've got both expansions. Um, I'm really in deep with it now and not regretting a single moment. I think it's a, a wonderful game system. And I think it's one of those unsung, uh, you know, individual sort of box games that didn't get an awful lot of attention or love um, during the day, but it does have a strong dedicated following on Facebook especially that I noticed uh, their group is quite active uh, not as active as some of the other groups but you know there's, there's still a lot of passion there for a lot of guys that love this game and I want to explore it uh, in in more detail uh, using different fleets using the the sea monsters which I'm really interested in doing and the magic and all that kind of stuff so I'm going to base this solo podcast on Manor Wall and give you an introduction to the game system, uh, what you get in the core box, how the rules work, the mechanics of the game. Um, you know, if you were thinking about investing in Manor Wall, what you know, what what you need to what you need to have, and what sort of you know money would you be looking at investing at uh, to get to get your shoe into the game. And uh, hopefully this will give you some kind of insight into uh, Man of War and whether it's, it's, it's the right game for you. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast, guys, uh, and we'll see you on the other side. Okay, so thanks for joining me again. And now we're going to embark on the game of Man of War. The Raging Sea Battles in the World of Warhammer by Nigel Stillman, Andy Jones, and Bill King. The internal art diagrams were done by John Blanche, Wayne England, Jeff Taylor, Simon Smith, Dave Gallagher, and Dave Andrews. And Brian Ansell was a game consultant on this product. It was released in 1993. Um, first of all, 
when you look at the rule book for Man of War that comes in the base core set, the the imagery and the the quality of the artwork, the black and white uh, graphite and ink drawings are just some of the best illustrations I've seen in any of their publications. Uh, now, I, I've got to say that I'm not a big naval sea, you know, uh, war gamer at all. Uh, I've never at all been interested in naval warfare, historically or fantasy-wise. Um, so the only reason why it captured my imagination is because of the design of the ships and because it's set in the Warhammer world. And that's the only reason that I sort of got into it uh, initially and wanted to get back into it after having played my first game. But I've always loved the photographs of the the I'm going to say epic scale ships because it reminds me of the scale of epic space marine. Uh, that's more than six mil. I think these are uh, even smaller scale than that. But um, yeah, I, I like the I like the miniature scale of the the ships and that kind of thing. That sort of drew me into it. But yeah, honestly, some of the uh, some of the artwork, especially from Wayne England and John Blanche in particular, are some of the best work I've seen these guys do. Um, some beautiful, beautifully uh, rendered uh, illustrations in here. Um, so what you, what do you get in, in the main box? Well, you get an awful lot of uh, components. You get a lot of tokens. Uh, you'll find that Manowar uses an, a huge array of tokens. Um, uh, you'll find a lot of damage tokens for your ships, um, blaze tokens crew tokens. I suppose they're the three main uh, sets of tokens that you'll have uh, quite a lot of because you need a lot of them for the ship templates. Uh, when you buy the base game, you'll come with it will come with uh, six ships. Is it six? No, it's 12, isn't it? 12 war galleys. Okay, and six of those will be for the Empire and the, and the other six will be for the Pirates. Um, and you have all this, the sale, the, the sales will come with the sets as well, like with the base set and your, when, when you buy individual box sets of ships, the sales will come in these, uh, really nice, um, full, you know, full colored, uh, you know, sheets that you can cut out and, uh, attach to the, the masts. The masts are made of plastic. Then not overly fragile, but you know you have to be mindful that they will snap if you you know if you pull at them too hard. They'll they're 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 a lot more brittle than the um, the plastics nowadays. But um, the general assembly of the ships is quite straightforward, especially the ones in the base. They're all plastic. The war galleys are all plastic. So. Basically, it's just like a, a main hull. Then you've got like uh, two mast sections. You've got like the main mast and then the cross beam that you need to glue on. And then uh, after painting it, you can then attach and cut out and attach the, the sail to it. So it's all very straightforward. Uh, the ships are so small that you can paint them easily in the weekend. I think that's one of the beauties of this of this game is that you only need a very small selection of, of models and because of the scale of it, um, you can easily paint them up very, very quickly. Uh, now, each ship, as I said, comes with some kind of ship template. Now, on the template, you'll see uh, a number of um, sections. Um, usually, there's like an, an, an upper or lower section, and each section has a, a number associated with it. So, for example, for the war gullies, they have... Uh, three hit locations and it's all in one um it, it's it's like either you when you roll to hit you roll a, if you roll a four you hit the mast okay and each each section will have a, like a saving throw so for example you know my pirate ship uh, shoots at the war gully in front of me uh i roll a uh, i only roll one dice because i only got one cannon I roll a four. It hits the mast. Okay, in that case, I've got a saving throw of a five or six, um, and all that information's on your on your little like, like it's like a data card, I suppose, for forty k. Um, so your ship templates have all that information. It'll tell you the saving throw and the modifiers if there are any uh, on the 
uh, template that you are shooting with. They've got like a special range ruler. Uh, and it will have three bands on it. Um, the first band will be close range. I think it's about three inches. And then uh, they, they get a minus one save if they hit at close range. Medium is just no save modifier. And if you uh, hit them at long range, they get a plus one to their save. So that's basically um, the, the main um, you know, uh, construct of the ships. Uh, they are, you know, given each one's given their own separate um, ship template, and you have to record the damage on your ships uh, during the game. Um, so, for example, some sections will cause critical damage if they're hit twice. So, for example, if I rolled, let's say I rolled a four on the um, initial example, I rolled my save, I failed. Uh, causing a damage to the the mast on my war empire war galley um, basically there's some kind of conditions that will uh, you know hinder your ships uh, the more damage they take so if the mast is lost in this case cannot move under sail so any further hits do not cause critical damage in that particular case so because they can move under oars they have oars that means I can now move under oars but I cannot move under sail uh, wind direction and the wind, uh, where the wind uh, blows in the game is a really important factor because ships that move under sail can either be boosted in their movement or hindered in their movement depending on the wind direction. Um, there's a lot of terminology in, in the rulebook that they cover as well. And in the glossary and components, uh, they go through all these um, various different terminologies they will use in the rulebook uh, in regards to the ships themselves in the direction or sides of the ship. So you've got like aft, the rear of the ship, as, uh, also referred as the stern, for the, the front end of the ship, also known as the prowl, for battery, the, the volley of cannon fire or other weaponry from the uh, front of the ship, and so on and so forth. So you've got all that terminology in the glossary section right at the beginning of the book. Um, so it goes through all the components you get, like the range rulers, the, the ship templates, how they work. The cards, the cards are gorgeous. Um, they come with uh, the main box. It comes with magic cards for the colleges of magic. Okay, so it covers all the colleges that you're familiar with in 4th edition because this is, you know, uh, on the timeline of when this was released, 4th edition was a thing. And uh, with magic, it came with um, all the colleges. So you got like, you know, light, gold, amber, bright magic, uh, and so on and so forth. So the cards are all, um, I think there's a, there's a vast range of cards. I'm going to guess, I don't know exactly how many there are in the base set, but I'm thinking there's about at least 20 cards or more. Um, you know, maybe it covers maybe two or three spells from each college or four spells from each college. Um, and we'll get we'll get onto the the magic and how that works in a in a later segment. But basically, it tells you in the beginning of the book how to assemble your ships. Uh, it tells you about all the componentry uh, that you have in your box game, um, and gives you a brief description on uh, what they do and how they're played in the game. Gives you a nice uh, two page uh, fold out map of the old world in here as well. Uh, which is lovely and then it gets right straight into setting up so because the ships are quite easy to put together you can you can even put them together without even painting them uh, and i i had to do that because the the person i purchased them from um hadn't painted the ships but it had already assembled all the the masts unpainted and put the sails and the masts and everything but i got around it uh and i painted everything uh, even fully assembled so it is possible. Um, so if you do manage to pick up a box set, maybe you're lucky, maybe the components are already painted, the, the ship's being painted, and you can get uh, underway, under sail, as it, as it were, straight away. Um, so first things, first you'll have, you'll have like a little a booklet uh, in the main game that will give you some kind of like a, uh, like a quick start or how to play Man of War. And you can follow that step by step and just do some kind of really small, you know, one-on-one -on -one 
ship battle, uh, basically going through all the different turns, turn sequences and activations, and how to, you know, how the ships interact with each other uh, during the game, which is quite a, a good good thing, like a little quick start booklet. Um, but on page 10 of the rulebook, you've got a setting up page, you know, how to choose your fleet. Okay. Uh, the main book will cover all, most of the races uh, from the old world, you know, starting from Empire, then Bretonia, Dwarves, High Elves, Dark Elves, Orcs. Um, they're the main, uh, well, they were the sort of initial fleets that were introduced in the main main game. And of course, the expansions after that introduced other other all the the plague fleet plague plague fleet expansion introduced all the chaos fleets and with skaven and chaos dwarves and all that kind of thing which we'll get onto another 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 episode maybe uh so um so when once you've assembled your your ships so again you'll have six of each type you'll have six um of the pirate ships and six of the empire ships. Now, the way they work in the game is that they need to be arranged into squadrons. Uh, and a squadron is mainly three ships, or it could be two ships depending on the fleet and depending on the, the type of ship. But in the case of the war gullies, they're uh, arranged in squadrons. So one of them, one of the three has to be your flagship now the flagship is quite important because that's kind of your central command uh, ship, uh, and the other two ships have to remain within six inches of your flagship at all times. If they stray away due to circumstances beyond your control or due to movement or what have you, um, then they become a straggler, and a straggler is something we're going to cover later on. It happened in our game last night actually uh, with Marcel that I had a, a straggler. And um, basically, if you're in a situation where one of your ships is a straggler, they can't shoot, they can't move, but they can defend themselves, basically. Uh, and the other ships can move uh, normally, but if you want that, that straggler to be part of your squadron again, you need to get your flagship within six inches, and then it can activate the next turn as normal. Um, so, yeah, squadrons are really important. Now, there are other ships that are independent. Independent ships can move around independently, as name would suggest. They don't, they're not arranged into squadrons and they can move freely on their own. Uh, so once you've got your two fleets organized, your empire and your pirates, um, each pennant, now when I say a pennant, on the top of the masts, there'll be um, a pennant. Uh, so you have your main sail and on the very top, there'll be like a little, uh, what they use for epic, for the, the back banners and that kind of thing when they put them on the, on the bases. Exactly the same a plastic little um, banner pole piece that goes on top of your mast. And each ship has a pennant. And on the pennant will be some kind of symbol. And that symbol will match to the corresponding emblem on your, your ship um, templates. Uh, so that way you can keep track of which ship is which because each ship has its own template. So there's not one template for the whole squadron. Each one has their own one. So you need to keep in mind, okay, so the the Empire War Gully with the castle pennant is my flagship, for example. And the other one's got like a sun symbol on it and the other one's got a symbol of a, you know, a fish or something like that. Okay, so the, the templates will correspond to the pendants on your ships. So keep track of that to know which one's your flagship. And uh, so that when you record damage on your ships, you know exactly which one is damaged. And you need to keep, there's a bit of management in the game too. That's, that's um, you know, it's not, it's not so that, you know, you're, you're keeping track of um, what's happening to damage or things on the actual models themselves in the game. It's very tidy in that respect. There's no sort of, um, there, there are very, very little uh, counters or additional kind of materials that you're putting on the board. Everything goes onto your ship templates. So you need a sort of a separate section, uh, you know, apart from the board where you need to lay out all your ship templates. So 
And just to uh, just to tell you about the actual battlescape and the size of the table that you'll need, uh, four by four is the recommended size, but you can go six by four, of course. Um, you can even do three by three. I I I, I think it, it works perfectly on a three by three um, size table as well. So you might even do it on your kitchen table. It doesn't really matter um, because the the aim of the game really is to get up close because you know that range rule is only what nine inches long. Um, so most ships fire unless you're unless you're elves or dark elves. They've got a, a longer range because they're using um, uh, they're using uh, repeater bolt throwers. I think they are. Uh, we'll cover the fleets separately, uh, maybe in a, in a different podcast. We're just going to go through the basic rules of the game in this podcast, but. Yeah, uh, basically they're, they're trying to get up close so that they can do as much damage as, as, as they possibly can because they need to get within cannon range. Um, it's a brutal game. Uh, I've really enjoyed it because it's so fun and, and furious and fast. But, of course, the bigger the ships, the more damage they can take. And we'll get, we'll get to damage later on. But um, obviously the smaller the ship, the less damage it can take and uh, the more... Um, uh, well, in some senses, the, the, the smaller ships are harder to hit because the, the locations are smaller, they are lower. So, for example, the war gully only has three hit locations, so four, five, and six. So if you roll a one, two, or three, you're missed. And, um, and yeah, the way you hit ships and the way um, that interacts is a little bit different from other games, worship games. Um, also, it's an it's an alter, alternating activation sequence that happens in the game, which is totally different from everything that anything else they've ever done, apart from Epic Space Marine, which would be the um, the only one that's very similar to this. So, you know, I would activate one squadron, so I'd move my war galleys up. Okay, I'd move them individually, and then I would move one, then shoot if it's in range. Uh, so complete all of its uh, activation. Then I'll move the second one, move it, shoot it, uh, for example, and the third one, and so on. And once I've moved all my all my ships, all my uh, if I have an independent ship, I, as soon as I move that and finish and complete all of its actions, then it's my opponent's turn to move, and he can move one of his uh, squadrons or independent ships. So I really like that uh, how that plays out because you know as we're very familiar with most of the traditional games workshop games it's either it's a i go you go system and uh that would be crushing in a game like man of war because they could basically if they're in range they could probably decimate your entire fleet before you get a chance to do anything so i i think that alt alternating action activations uh, really works well with man of war um okay so we've covered that we've covered the battlescape now the battlescape is going to be generally four by four, uh, or bigger or smaller, depending on uh, on your um, how you how, can, how how much space you can accommodate for the game. The terrain pieces are all in two D. I really like the color; they've got these really sort of funky, um, uh, very vibrant, uh, colored uh, two two dimensional card heavy thick cardboard uh, temp uh, you know terrain pieces that you can. Uh, use for your game so that's great so you don't need to really make anything construct anything straight away just use the 2d terrain piece and i think they're wonderful um so you can use those and the way that terrain is deployed on the on on your seascape is that you split your your playing area into qu uh, quadrants so for example a four by four would have four quadrants you roll a dice and then uh, depending on the on the result of the die, so for example, one or two, there's no terrain features. Three to four, there's one terrain feature. Five, there's two, and six, there's three. So you split up your your board into quadrants, roll the dice, and that that'll determine how many pieces of terrain are on your board on your seascape. There are scenarios in this rulebook as well, which we'll get to uh, in a later episode, and there are six in the main rulebook. And there are another six in Plague Fleet as well. So that's already 12, uh, you know, very individual, very um, uh, thematic and theme-based uh, scenarios that you can play in campaigns as well, uh, which is another thing we'll get to later on in the book. 
So there's your main seascape. There's your terrain deployed. Deploying your fleets, okay? We've got to determine which uh, side of the table is north and roll the dice to indicate um, if the wind is blowing north uh, or south. So you do that by rolling um, so that's it's evens, it's north, uh, odds, it's south. So for especially for the war gullies, because they have sails, but they can move by oar as well. But anything, any ship that, that moves by sail, wind is a massive factor for them. Because if this if the wind is obviously blowing against you, it's forcing you to, to move slower. So either slower under sail and slower under oar. But if the wind is blowing behind you, man, you're moving super fast, especially for elves and that kind of thing. Those elven ships are just crazy fast. Um, so potentially you can move up to nine inches uh, if the wind is blowing behind you in most cases for most ships under sail. Uh, so you will need a tape measure to move your ships. Okay, there's no template uh, for that. So you need a tape measure or I use my Song of Ice and Fire um, range rulers that come in that, that game. I think that's nice and easy, lightweight. And um, the other problem that I had with tape measures, if you drop them on your models, <laughs> it will scratch and destroy them. So I, I, I try to use cardboard or something really light or like a little stick or something like that to, to move things around because you're not you're not measuring huge distances with man of war it's mainly just to move and i think the maximum would be about nine inches there are some cases where you need to measure longer than that depending on the uh, type of uh, weaponry they have i think um for like mortar based weaponry for the chaos dwarves and some of the empire ships, you will you will need a tape measure to measure longer distances on the on the battlescape. But generally, everything's sort of about nine inches maximum. Okay, so now we'll move on to the next page on page twelve to the sequence of play. Um, first, there's an initiative phase, so both players have to roll the dice to determine who has the initiative for the turn. Now, if you roll, if we both roll the same number. Okay, so let's say we roll double. So I roll a three and my opponent roll a three. That means the wind is going to change. So uh, if a double uh, odd is rolled, uh, it moves um, clockwise. If it's in double even, it's moved counterclockwise. Okay, so this is where the effect of the wind will change during the game. Now, you, then you've got to roll initiative again uh, if it's another double, then you, you roll to see where the wind will change again. <laughs> so it could happen multiple times. It has happened in a, a game that me and Ben played where it changed twice and it moved, I think it moved cl clockwise and counterclockwise, so it went back to the same position anyway. Uh, so that's how that interacts within the game. Uh, but the person who won the initiative, uh, usually it's a really good thing. You really want to win initiative. Same with space, space marine, uh, epic space marine. You know, winning initiative can be really vital um, because in most cases you you do want to move first. You do want to activate first and shoot first because the first person who gets the most blows in could really cripple uh, the other person's uh, squadron or ships. So once you've gained the initiative, uh, the first thing we need to do if you have wizards is uh, initiate the magic phase. So the player with the initiative casts whatever spells he is capable of, and then the second player does likewise. Magic is not as devastating or as influential as it is in the um, Warhammer Fantasy Battle games. Um, and that, that really depends on what kind of magic you are using. Skaven magic, as I've witnessed, myself when Ben played them were pretty devastating um, the college magic spells not so much so they're quite uh, they're quite weak and fluffy like they are in uh, one of fantasy battles uh, so the person who has the initiative gets to cast a spell we're going to go through magic in a later a later section of the podcast okay so we've done that then we go to the battle phase. So starting with the player with the initiative, the player takes it in turns to move and fight with individual squadrons of ships. As we both, as, as I went on uh, before about it, you activate either an independent ship or a squadron. You move them one at a time and shoot them, okay? Until you finish activating all your 
ships in that squadron, then it goes to your opponent. Then we do that uh, alternating until all of our ships are activated. We found placing a marker on this on the actual battlescape to say that a squadron has activated, just so that we don't forget. As sometimes it comes up where we 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 move things around and think, oh, hang on, have we moved everything? I can't remember, and it gets confusing, especially once they're all all the ships are sort of in this line of uh, scrimmage, so to speak, in the center of the battlescape. And it gets quite a little bit messy sometimes. So once we've done all that, we go to the end phase and players check their record keeping, replenish their magic cards, determine whether any fires have uh, that have broken out have spread and move any stragglers. Uh, and those rules will be covered later on. I can already tell that this episode is going to be a massively long episode. So I'm going to have to break this down into various different segments uh, to make it you know, more enjoyable for you uh, as a listen, because I think we're almost up to about an hour uh, at this stage. So let us let us leave it here for now, okay? And I'll come back with another episode <laughs> and we can go through the different phases. So hope, hopefully that gave you a little bit of an insight into Man of War and how um, how the the turn sequences work and how um, you know ships are moved and that kind of thing during the game, uh, but there's a lot more to cover and we'll do that in in another episode maybe through the week. I want to do this as a kind of a, a solo um, project for people in lockdown, especially who are maybe you know going nuts at home, uh, wondering what to do, or maybe they're in a very advantageous. Um, uh, position where they can paint models and enjoy their hobby and maybe this is a nice uh, supplement for for them doing that but I think an hour is a, a nice little um, a bridge gap for for that kind of for this kind of thing that we're not doing interviews we're just sort of doing a solo cast and hopefully uh, this has given you a bit of inspiration into uh, fielding your fleets on the high seas as we move into uh, in the next episode, into the magic phase, the movement phase, the combat and damage phase, and then we go into uh, the end phase, boarding actions. Uh, so there's quite a, a lot we can cover um, in a in a future episode, guys. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, very brief introduction to Man of War, and stay tuned for part two. Okay, guys, so we'll bring this podcast to an end. So thank you very much for joining me. And I hope you enjoyed this small, very small, it's quite a large project, it really is. And I didn't think it would actually take this long. But yeah, the, the more I started talking, the then I really realized how long this podcast was going to be. I didn't want it to be a three to four hour podcast. And this is kind of just a bit of a filler in between our, our interviews as again i want to stress that i want any future interviews with people to be of the best quality i can i can possibly uh, provide to you so we're going to make sure they're perfect before i ever uh, release them so in the interim um i hope you can enjoy my voyage through man of war and the game that maybe people had seen in the past never seen before maybe were curious or keen to see what it was like but didn't really know how it played or didn't know much about the mechanics of the game. So hopefully this series will keep you entertained in the meantime. But we will get um, a few more guests on the show in future. I do want to go back to Epic Space Marine with maybe John and Gordon um, at some point and uh, with, um, with other guests as well in the future maybe talk do like a man of war special as well um yeah give give a bit of the unsung kind of games that games which are released back in the 90s that maybe didn't have the biggest reception or biggest following uh that the two core games did um but yeah of course warhammer is going to be our main staple of discussions here so we want to um bring that back into some way shape or form uh, at some point in the future uh, so let me think about that. If you've got any suggestions about season two, what you would like to see, what you would like to hear, then get in contact with me. 
I'm always open to, to suggestions. Um, so please send me an email to the crown of command podcast at gmail.com or get in touch with me through Facebook at our crown of command podcast community page. You can send me a message there. You can get in touch with us in our discord group. Okay. I'm just under the same title as the podcast, the crown of command podcast. Uh, send me a message there. Uh, if you would like to be part of the show somehow, if you've got something that's relative, uh, related to 90s um, um, Games Workshop Gaming or whatever, or you've got an origin story you want to share, I do have a list of people's names that I will get to in the future once we sort out all our technical issues and that we can uh, present um, our interviews in the best way possible. Uh, in future, but if you want to get, if you want to come on board the podcast, please let me know. Send me a message or email, and we'll get that um, we'll get that uh, hooked up for you. So, thanks again, guys, for um, for bearing with us, and I hope you've had a great week or weekend. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care. Bye bye.